You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. Yes, that's right. You are the Punk Theology Podcast. Uh, my name is Russ Shaw, the provocateur. That's uh, all the provocateurs are at the table in this episode, homies. And listen, when I say provocative, what I mean by that, and what could be misconstrued with a show like ours, called Punk Theology, is that we are painting graffiti on sacred cows as we warm up the meat grinder, right? Like, we're just out to offend people and say outrageous things, and and that's really not what we're about. We really do value people and their opinions. Yes, even our ideological opponents. That's right, you heard me say it. And my question is, what if listening has actually become countercultural? Even, dare I say, rebellious. I really do believe that in most cases, especially when it comes to men in Western culture... There seems to be a ton of emotional energy around this word respect. And I believe that respect can easily become an idol that our ego handcrafts to help protect us from being in the room or opening our mind to folks who may disagree with us. For example, especially us guys, man, respect. Um, I will lovingly disrespect uh certain programs, ideologies, uh, religions, and not to disrespect the people in them, but more as a worker, right? Someone who's working to open up a dialogue, a discourse, a, a conversation, all as an effort to throw open the doors of the peacemaking fight club. We punk theologians value igniting good conversation, and sometimes that comes at the risk of sounding disrespectful. This is what it looks like to work to separate the politics. It's separating the machine body from the vulnerable human body. It's rage against the machine with their fist in the air, working to get us to see the idea, the religion, the policy, uh, the ideology, to separate all that stuff from the individual, the individual person, to get into their heart, to ask those kinds of questions. Because attacking the personhood of someone based on their ideology, I mean, that was the 2016 American election, all right? Just shouting insults back and forth. These are professional policymakers. Really? It really seems like the popular tool in conflict resolution today, the cultural norm is personal attacks. To dehumanize the other, to break that person down so that the talk show host or hosts sitting on their bully pulpit can feel more secure about themselves and their tribe, that's not punk to us, right? Like, everyone's doing that, right? Everyone's trying to argue or be outrageous or poke a bear just for the sheer novelty that it brings to poke a bear and be offensive. 
again, if we're going to value really good questions over having all the answers, then we have to be honest about our own motivations for what comes out of our mouth, right? Is it to shout down our ideological opponent and say that we're right and they're wrong and we're woke and they're asleep? Is that is that what we're doing? No, again, that's not punk. Most talk shows are doing that. Most folks in our culture are doing that. I mean, politics is doing that. It's a social kind of conformity in our minds towards a normative way of arguing and really not solving anything or getting to the bottom or the truth of anything because we're too busy trying to defend our own egos. Uh, we like to be countercultural in the fact that we are working to stay in the room with difference and be curious about our ideological opponents, right? Ask really good questions. In our view, one really good question is better than 10,000 answers. And that's different to us as a talk show. That's punk. And man, we'd certainly like to have you, the listener, on board. Uh, we have a Patreon page, and, you know, even a dollar a month would be awesome as a way to support what we're doing here. Just because it's different and countercultural, the audience is growing. And as a social experiment, uh, man, I'm, I'm surprised, actually. <laughs> I'm uh, a little taken aback that folks are actually interested in this form of dialogue. We are six, sometimes seven. Sometimes we bring in uh, some guests into the group as we're doing the uh, group topic today. No interview today. Um, but we're, we're friends who get together and really try and work on and model even what it means to bear one another's burdens, you know? As we wrestle, as we struggle, as we talk about some of these deeper topics... And today, yeah, we're a bunch of guys from Seattle talking about violence, all right? And some of you, based on the news and what's been going on out there, are going to, you know, you're maybe thinking that we're going to talk about taking away guns or guns at all. Uh, in this episode, what we're after is getting to the roots of violence. And even as men, um, what does that look like? And again, with the true punk theology form, we're not just pointing to the rest of the world and saying this is what they should and ought to do about violence. We actually uh, go into some of our own stories and talk about how it's working itself out, how it has in our lives uh, as guys. And listen, if you would like to be a part of this um, punk movement uh, again, our Patreon page, you can find that at punktheology.com. Click on the donate button, and uh, it's right in that area. So, I'm going to shut up now, and we're going to get right into it on the other side of these uh, this bumpers here on the Punk Theology Podcast. Chuck is missing from this episode, so it's uh, five of us. Uh, See that? I caught myself in a lie. <laughs> All the provocateurs are not here at the table because Chuck's not here. So, uh, yes, correcting. Correcting that. Reprint. Copy. Printer retraction. 
Sorry. Anyway, we're going to have to talk about this again sometime with Chuck involved. Because Chuck's a, a guy with a, a unique perspective on the matter. But here you go. Violence. Episode 43 of the Punk Theology Podcast. One more thing. This episode is out of order. What does that mean? Is there a sign hanging on it like it doesn't work? No, it works fine. Uh, you just have to push that button, the subscribe button, a little harder. Uh, so um, when I when I say out of order, it was actually there's John refers to some shows. We may refer some, to some other shows in this recording that haven't been posted yet. So yes, out of sequence, I think would be better words. We are messing with the fabric of time on punk theology. So uh, bear with us as I get caught up. <laughs> There's about four episodes recorded. This is the first of four that I've, I'm posting uh, today. So here you go. Again, punktheology.com. Become a patron. Patreon sinner saint. We'd love to have you aboard. Here you go. One man gives an opinion. The other man takes offense. When it comes to violence, it's a diabolical dance. Diabolical dance. Diabolical dance. When it comes to violence, it's a diabolical dance. Come on. Like that creates a natural environment with that common struggle. Yeah, yeah. and where and common struggle creates depth, right? It's the same with the military, right? You know, it doesn't have to be some emotional thing. If you're struggling together to accomplish something, and the stakes are high, you build a relationship with another man that means something that that naturally creates a depth yeah. through what you're going through. And there's just not. Growing up, you need an outlet for it. I mean, even as you get older, you can use an outlet for it, exercise, m- meditation, or whatever. I used to like going to you know, metal and hardcore shows and yeah, playing me music. Too. And you got this energy. You have to get it out of your body because it's yeah. there. It's real. Mm-hmm. Even like my sons, they're, they're still little. But just the past couple of years, like, oh, my God, you guys are going to destroy the house and you're going to kill each other. It's like put him into kickboxing, and that's been a good outlet at least several yeah. days a week. But how come road rage is a thing? Like when when you're in line at the grocery store or at the bank, and you're standing behind a bunch of people, nobody fucking road rage. Nobody goes, "You cut me off," or "You're not going fast enough." Like we don't shake our fists at the person in front of unless we're in this little tight box where no one can fucking hear us. That's when. That's when we get enraged. I felt it creep up inside, standing behind people at a red box. Uh, locker room guys would just sneak up behind each other and flick them in the nuts. Mm. Like, yeah, it was just a thing. Aaron, after he got control of himself, tumbling down the hill, jumped up, ready to fight. And all he sees is me standing at the top of the hill and, and Keith following him down the hill, mm-hmm. head over... <laughs> Head over heels as well after getting punched in the face, and um, and there's an element where where that that type of camaraderie and standing up for each other can mean something. Yes. Uh, yeah. and, and and that your friend would do that and and risk getting in trouble because we were at a school event and. Um, we all need a little punk rock and roll. Tonight we're gonna drink. It's a night we'll smoke. Forget about our problems. 
This band of ideological rebels and become a co-producer of punk theology. Because talking about the elephant in the room has become more like looking for a lost penny under the couch cushion that most don't care to find. We're not talking about feminism tonight, we're talking about violence. That's my announcer voice. It's my sportscaster voice. Nice. Well, it's your podcast voice. Yeah, what's it? My podcast voice. Hello. My name is Russ Shaw. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Do your your podcast voice and then do your... Welcome to Punk Theology. No, No. that's your... I can't get out of it, man. I'm fucking stuck in there. Uh, I don't know how to get out of it. Welcome to I'm Punk saying, Theology! Punk Theology! Yeah, it's yeah. different when I was standing in front of the mic and I got it right there like, Fuck! Ah! No, you're Violence! Still, you're still not hitting you're it. You're still not there. <laughs> you're in your own head now. I am. Yeah, you guys got to be all, <laughs> gotta be all <laughs> self-conscious now. <laughs> I can't perform. It's like peeing at the stall. At Performance the fucking, anxiety. Yeah. yeah. When you go to the, like the... Yeah. I can't, do open, I can't do it on the open stalls. The fucking trough? <laughs> yeah. The old kingdom. Oh, and those man. metal troughs. Mm. So I, I remember I brought my son in there for the first time. He's like, oh, dad, I don't know. I'm like, it's okay. You just whip it out, man. It's the way you do. And I, when I was in my mid 20s, I was right having passage. some real anxiety. And I couldn't pee at a stall at all. And I would just stand there. <coughs> and I started like praying and it helped. Really? And then, like, I was like, wow, like, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, stop. <laughs> Hold on, Arthur. <laughs> and then like Jesus a couple, answers prayer right and then I uh, a couple years later I tried it and instead of praying I sang Mary Had a Little Lamb and it worked just as well nice <laughs> take your mind off yeah just go. just something to distract me yeah. <laughs> that's oh, why you didn't share that when we talked about miracles <laughs> did we talk about miracles yeah like yeah. last week did we did we yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, about supernatural and superstition, so miracles oh, yeah. are kind of looped in with some of that. So, if anybody visits Seattle, there's this there's this brewery. It's a little uh, brew pub on Capitol Hill. It's called uh, Optimism Optimism Brewery, and they have a huge uh, what do you what would you call that uh, gender free bathroom. Mm. So you walk in and there's oh, yeah. no... Yeah, you just walk in. I went in. to one in Oregon. There's a bathroom. I have a great story about that. You want me to interrupt you? Oh, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all <laughs> I got. Uh, <laughs> that was in the... We were in Oregon and they had one of these. And it's uh-huh. like like individual... Portland? S- yeah. Oh, okay. Like individual stalls, but like everybody's at the sinks, right? Uh, and, that, and that's how they set it up. And, uh, and I just... Uh, I destroyed that thing. I just fucking blew it up, right? And I opened the door, and there's this like twelve year old girl, oh, God. like staring me in the eyes. <laughs> like this you would do have been not go bad in there. if it was a dude. Oh. This is so much Tell worse. Tell me Jim Carrey. <laughs> do not go in there. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, hey, it, dude, uh, you should have like, had those when you were. Uh, so matches. I posted something to Facebook, like say what you will about gender. You know, neutral bathrooms. There is a downside. <laughs> there is a downside. It. Yeah. <laughs> what the guys are? Guys are like cows. Are we create too much methane, or what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Okay, here's, here's one thing. Shit, really fast. We yeah. eat our food that's really unhealthy really quickly, and then it blows through us. Here, here's one thing I know. 
I worked at a call center, uh-huh. and there were a lot of people who don't make a lot of money that work there. Mm. And having working in IT, I spent a lot of time doing other jobs at the company. I had to fix lights and, and ended up getting kind of roped into this whole building maintenance kind of routine thing where the two IT guys, because we knew how to do stuff, we got called in to, to fix stuff a lot. Uh-huh. That wasn't oh IT gosh. related. The only thing I will say about this is I learned then and there that the female bathrooms were always way dirtier. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard this. Yeah. Way dirtier. Yeah. Like, m- orders of magnitude worse. Graffiti, too. There's a yeah. good amount of graffiti in there. I don't have any graffiti in a, in a business bathroom, but it was... <laughs> it's still... Stuff that happened in there, that place got way wrecked. I mean... I mean, the worst thing we had to do at the guy's bathroom was just kind of <laughs> put up a sign above the urinal that says, you know, if you got a short bat, step up to the plate. You're just dripping <laughs> on the floor too much. But other than that, yeah. you know, and, and like one time we had somebody who was regularly like apparently having stage fright using the urinals, they would go into the stall to pee and not lift the seat and then yeah. pee all over it. So then we like started harassing those people too. Did you see the thing going on Facebook today about how peeing in the sinks way more environmentally friendly? Run the sink for like a second, right? And uses like a tenth of a gallon of water. Whereas that makes sense. Toilet, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you can rest your nuts right on the, <laughs> right on the porcelain. Uh, it's nice and cool. Eric's talking from experience. <laughs> yeah. That would be a summer thing. I'm never washing my hands and just slop it over yeah. the edge and let it go. <laughs> well, you don't even have to aim. Just put your hands behind your back. <laughs> Woo! Everything's Man. all propped up. What, what are we talking? <laughs> are we on? We are. We're, we're recording. recording we are recording this. That's oh, right. Geez. This is some good content. I'm telling is you. It? Yeah. When my mom used to own a dry cleaners and laundromat when I was a teenager, and there was this girl there, and she would come in every so often and do her laundry. She was really cute, like, like cute, like hot, you know. And uh, I remember she she used the bathroom. And I had to use the bathroom, too. I used to clean out the machines and stuff like that. It was my job and tag clothes and all this. And she's, uh, she's coming out of the bathroom. And for some reason, as soon as she came around the corner, she saw me going to the same bathroom. She just turned beat fucking red. <laughs> oh. And she's, like, looking at me, like, turning red and kind of walking around. And I walk in there and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, holy fucking shit. Like, six truck drivers just... Ate Mexican food and fucking unloaded in this place. It was like, wow. It was weird though, because I never really looked at her the same. <laughs> All our female listeners are like having fucking social anxiety. All our now. female listeners. There's like <laughs> two. It's got to be six or maybe four. So this is uh, we're going on violence and violence room, and we're talking about the shitter. <laughs> we are. That's, that's that's part of the deal. We're warming up. Violence. We're warming up. There's violence. Yeah. Okay, I guess. That can cause some violent reactions. <laughs> I love Mexican food, but it's violent. Is it hot? Is that hot? I love the oatmeal thing about, like, why is my asshole the only thing, or why is the only thing my asshole can taste is spicy it's food? Spicy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Of all the flavors. <laughs> That's right. A little bit of potty humor on the Punk Theology Podcast. Share this with your friends, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Like, share, whatever. Um, 
I didn't really take any notes on this topic, but it's a big topic that's going around. We had an email from a listener who wanted us to talk about fucking gun violence, and I'm like, we're not doing that. We're not talking about political fucking... I mean, that, that conversation's been going on in this country for a very long time. This isn't new. I mean... And it will continue. Yeah. And it will continue. We're not so, fucking solve it, so... Why talk about it? Why yell into the stratosphere? But, you know, getting to the roots of it, um, here's one thing I was thinking about, and I saw some people on actually on Facebook brought it up today, and it was something that I've thought about. How come road rage is a thing? Like when, when you're in line at the grocery store or at the bank, and you're standing behind a bunch of people. Nobody fucking road rage. Nobody goes, you cut me off or you're not going fast enough. Like, we don't shake our fist at the person in front of us. Unless we're in this little tight box where no one can fucking hear us. That's when that's when we get enraged. I felt it creep up inside standing behind people at a red box. Oh, They're yeah. just taking forever, you know, like just <laughs> scrolling right. through. And they go back and forth. They're trying to pick a movie. And they're reading all the descriptions and the ratings. It's just like, come on! You could have done this on your smartphone. But, right? And I, I, I wouldn't act out, but I could feel it well up inside oh. a little bit. Just that little bit of, come on! That's why I don't go to Redbox. <laughs> well, when it comes to violence, I was reading something <laughs> recently. Basically, like, I think it's close to 90% of violent crime is male. Yeah, like, it's yeah. really, really high. Like, it's not, yeah. And, like, we don't really even talk about it. Like, not nearly as much as we ought to. Like, men are just violent. Yeah. And, and I, one of the ones I wanted to, things I wanted to talk about uh, tonight was just the idea that, you know, testosterone gives you really bad ideas. And, and honestly, testosterone, and when it comes to fitting into a civil society, testosterone is actively bad for us. Yeah. Like, it's just, it just tells us to do really fucking stupid shit. Um, it's one of the many ways that evolutionary biology fails us right. in modern society. <laughs> yes. uh, and there are many ways. And yet you need it for, to help you reproduce, but at the same time. Right. Yeah. So there's, there's some interesting factors in that. And I'm not going to take away from the fact that, that men are inordinately more violent than women, but one, frequently we're just built stronger so we can do more damage. Um. Two, when female violence is on men, it doesn't get reported. Yeah, that's and that's true. a big thing in domestic violence mm-hmm. is that culturally it's just not okay. You know, yeah. guy, guys don't feel safe reporting and, and they're you know, there's a lot of stories and so I while I while I fully one hundred percent agree that these statistics would still even if it men, was still it would be it would be different. Even yeah. if it was seventy five twenty five. Mm-hmm. It's still a huge it is. fucking problem, and uh, and yeah, and a ton of domestic violence goes unreported on the female side. Too. It absolutely does. Yeah. yeah, the whole gaslighting thing oh, yeah. and all yeah. of that shit, like codependency, yeah. where you're addicted to a relationship, so you stay with that person until, like heroin, they fucking kill you. Well, and honestly, abuse. Part of the abuse is the abuser getting you to stay, right? Yeah. right? Like that's a huge power trip. Yeah. The like, fuck, I beat the you know you should leave, and I manipulated you into staying. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a part of it too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's. Uh, you think it's more prevalent in society today? No, versus hundred years ago. I think it's just more obvious today. No, in fact, yeah. I think per capita it's lower than yeah. 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 And in general, testosterone levels have been going down and down and down. Uh, so now uh, you take a pill. 
it's more normalized. I think it was more normalized, though, like even as recent as the 50s and 60s. If you look at like a comedy show like The Honeymooners, mm-hmm. you to, know, the moon. to the moon, Alice, to the moon, you know, yeah. it's kind of just comedic to talk about, you know, slapping your wife around. And yeah, what do you think the source one of these of days? Pow! What? Why do why do men resort to violence? We're primates. I mean, we use that <laughs> phrase like it's not the the primary outlet by default. But I think for some people it is. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I think it starts with anger and then moves to violence. I think that's just an upgrade. Of I think it starts process. with anger, moves to impulse control, and then moves to ang- to violence. You know, like I know it should. It, it, I mean, there's that there's that thing with impulse control or people who have issues with impulse control. I would consider myself one of them. I'm not a guy who stands up in a room full of alcoholics and says I'm an, an addict, um, but I do have issues with impulse control. I could admit that, um, but I've never hit my wife, you know, and because I've no have I had the impulse to? No, I don't know. You know, I felt just I want to hit something. Yeah. No, yeah. I put my my hand through a wall before. A control thing, an anger thing, a jealousy yeah, thing. Yeah. From an evolutionary standpoint, I wonder just how much of it is just you know you're well. You're, there's very few mammals where the males don't fight. Like it's a pretty significant right. part of their existence. Right. Yeah. In primate existence, though, like we think we should be somehow removed from it because. Yeah. But no, it's not. It's, it's, well, I mean, look at primates. They're yeah, fucking brutal. They're brutal. Yeah. <laughs> We're less brutal than they, they are. Chimpanzees are fucking awful. Mm-hmm. They are super, super violent. Yeah. You think there's always something under the undercurrent? To yeah. humans, you mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, usually. I mean, I think a big part of it is uh, men not being able to communicate. Yeah, I think so. So, mm-hmm. so I think, uh, you know... I'll, and when they're in a situation where somebody else is emotionally smarter than they are, and they realize they're totally outmatched, like, oh, fuck, all I got left are my fists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think that explains almost all the scenarios, is that most of the time when you resort to violence, it's an attempt to regain control. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that includes yeah. in road rage. Right. Yeah. You can't communicate. There's no way to, except using a horn. Mm-hmm. You can it doesn't say much. Yeah, and in the in the psycho psychological breakdown of school shootings, it's usually a young white male who feels like he's bullied on the outside, on the outside and has lost control, and he, it's a way to gain some social. He's dominance. a young white male on the outside, but on the inside, he's a small Asian girl. <laughs> what do you, small Asian girls don't shoot up schools. Yeah, they, don't. <laughs> they get straight A's in math. <laughs> <laughs> what, does mean everything all, else? what does it mean they're all white guy on the That's outside? So, <laughs> so racist, right? I just went positive racist. Is that no? It's not a thing. thing. It's, it's a pretend thing. thing. <laughs> uh, I think that you know, it's growing up. You need an outlet for it. I mean, even as you get older, you can use an outlet for it. Exercise, m- meditation, or whatever. I used to like going to you know metal and hardcore shows and yeah, playing me music and. You got this energy. You have to get it out of your body because it's yeah. there. It's real. Mm-hmm. Even like my sons, they're they're still little, but just the past couple of years, like oh my god, you guys are going to destroy the house and you're going to kill each other. It's like put them into kickboxing, and that's been a good outlet at least yeah. several days a week. But I think that is so. That's a real like I, 
no watching MMA mm-hmm. wrestling like like I'm around a lot of women who have no connection to that and really can't understand they don't get it yeah and for like a guy like that's genuinely fun like (laughs) there's no aggression or anger at all I just want to hurt someone and be hurt at the same time yeah like I just want it you get in a mosh pit when you're a teenager it just just feels really good to go do something super physical and (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it totally sucks your mind away right there's, there's no presence other than just your animal brain in that moment and it's yeah, and it feels it's, really it's being good. Irish. <laughs> <laughs> I remember my friend Dean and I. I That's think we were racial podcast. All of a sudden, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Irish. I'm Scottish, fuck the Irish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Irish. Well, I'm. No, you're I'm supposed to fuck nut, the British, actually. man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, <you> <laughs> what about Dean? Oh. My friend Dean and I. He uh, we, we do dick comparing about who's getting fucked by the British horse. <laughs> you talk about cutting, like. Like it's girls tough. tend to cut, guys don't. Um, like in terms, of, like self harm, you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. like self harm. I remember my friend Dean and I. We were pretty stoned. We both came from really fucked up childhoods and families and shit like that. But one time we're sitting there, we were really high and we were eating Doritos. And my friend Dean takes a fucking Dorito. And it was summer, so we're sitting there in like tank tops, and it was really hot in a fucking trailer home. <laughs> so there's so there's that. I'll throw that out there. And uh and Dean looks at me and he takes a Dorito and he goes, Wham and he hits my arm and fucking slices me. Like wow. all of a sudden and I'm with a Dorito with a fucking Dorito. <laughs> and then he just starts laughing. Like, like, they used like to. I didn't know a Dorito would make you bleed. And I go, motherfucker, and I took a Dorito <laughs> and I went, Wham and we just started fucking just cutting each other with Doritos. My <laughs> arms were just That's covered amazing. in slices and blood and all this stuff. Hot cheese infusion. Hey, oh, dude, it was weird. And then uh, that whole summer, it kind of became a thing. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. anytime we were eating Doritos and getting stoned. And, and Dean and I had this kind of brotherhood in it, because if you did it to another guy, like he's ready to fucking kick my ass. I'm like, <laughs> and he's like, motherfucker, he's not ready to punch me in the face. I'm like, oh, it's just a thing, man. It's just a Dorito. What are you worried about? You fucking cut me. Yeah, there was a thing in football. Played football for the one year. <coughs> rode the bench the whole time. Uh, locker room guys would just sneak up behind each other and flick them in the nuts. Mm. Like, yeah, it was just a thing. Have, have you guys ever heard these stories of, of trans women taking testosterone therapy. Yeah. And There's a bunch be- of them now on the it, internet. They become extremely like, oh my God, I had no idea. Yes. I had no yes. idea, guys. I had no yep. idea. Yep. The the desire for sex, the, the things. Yeah. Like, I always thought men were kind of nuts, but I had no clue. And then they take testosterone, like, holy shit. Yeah. I'm horny yeah. all the time. I'm angry all the time. Like, there's stories all over the internet of this kind of thing. Neil Brennan had a great bit on his, po- or on his stand-up mm. through Mike's talking yeah, yeah, about that. Yeah. Just having this this douchebag in the back of your head constantly telling you to do the stupidest shit. <laughs> like, it's hard. Like, like I can ignore it 99% of the time, but the 1% of the time I don't ignore it, it really fucks shit up bad. Like, yeah. And there's guys that are, you know, 60% of the time they're giving into that thing. It's like, it's like the challenge of living in corporate America is just telling that voice to shut the right, fuck up. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm in my new company, and there's this very nice girl who works in HR and she's she was part of the onboarding process she's one in, in one of the first weeks I'm there she's one of the few people I know uh, at the at this new company and we had this big party where they had a bunch of lemonade um, in a couple big canisters with, with spigots on them and stuff and so it's after the party and I'm walking down the hallway and me and this other guy come around the corner 
and we almost run into her, and she's holding both of these in her arms. And it took literally everything in my yeah. body not to say, nice jugs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shit. To the girl who works in HR. HR. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fired. Yeah. Voice yeah. in my head is telling me to get myself in trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, damn, there's a really good joke. Yeah. Fuck. That's Poor what boss. it's like. Because, yeah. yeah. yes. And she was probably awesome. Part of us is still fucking 14. Yeah, that's right. Because part of being 14 is having a raging amount of testosterone running around in your body. And, and the night before, control. the night before, Arthur, she was probably on some blog for HR people going, take two jugs if you're a woman <laughs> and walk around the office and just see what happens. For <laughs> <laughs> two minutes. When we walk past her, me and, the guy, men. me and the guy that was with me, we just look at each other. And it was just one of those knowing looks like yeah. no, no words had to no, be exchanged. No. We both knew what we were thinking. We both had this shit-eating grin on our faces, oh, but wow. didn't say a word and didn't laugh. Just yep. Don't. One say. of the nicer things about growing older is the voice gets quieter. So my, yeah. my dad talks yeah. about that too. Yeah, yeah. it is. I, I asked my dad this. My dad's been gone five years now, but I asked him. I started looking into low T and about uh, testosterone therapy, uh, therapy, and, and all. And I, I go, Dad, did you ever think about you know? He goes, I just thought I was getting old. And it is, there is a benefit to it because that voice does get quieter and the urge to the drive is is less all-consuming. So you guys get that to look for. I think it's 80% of the reason that our founding fathers said you had to be 35 to be president. Right. <laughs> like, like 20% is, oh, you're old enough to learn history and get some experience in life. That's only 20%. 80% of it is... Your dick's not talking as loud as you used to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know if this is why they shot Kennedy. Across the board. <laughs> just depends. <laughs> but I know that's what I'm That voice is a lot I don't have any rage that I used to have. So the, the uh, I think the other part of so one of the things we see today is uh, things like road rage, things like uh, cyberbullying, where aggression is taking out in some form of. Uh, Abstraction, where there's there's distance. The shit people say on the internet versus what they're willing to say in person is, is yeah. vastly different. And it has to do with that abstraction layer. They feel protected inside a car because yeah. the person can't do anything to them. Well, they can, and those are the really fun road rage videos. Um, but but that abstraction where you're not actually face-to-face with the person, most people do not have the balls to well, say. something kicks in, too, I think. Like there's a part of them that they're a part of their brain that lights up and says, "Oh, this is actually a person." Yeah, when, yeah. when yeah. they see their face. So when are, they can't see their face. You're in a car. Right? Yeah. Are you guys yeah. familiar with the the Milgram experiments? Yeah, that are pretty famous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and, and the rest of you is a, is a experiment. I think it was done like in the 50s or 60s, where um, they they brought in a couple people, and, and one person in the experiment would be wearing a lab coat and was the the, the scientists conducting the experiment, the fake experiment, the experiment was not the experiment. The experiment was yeah. the next level up. And then there was, then there was another person who would have to uh, tell a person to answer questions or, or ask a, another subject questions. And, and every time they got one wrong, they had to administer an increasingly more powerful shock to the mm. person yeah. answering the questions wrong. And so the, the experiment was set up in such a way that the, the answerer was part of the experiment, and they were purposefully missing questions to see how far people would go. They weren't actually being shocked. They were pretending to be Right, they were pretending to be shocked, but but nobody knew this, including the guy in the lab coat. (laughs) 
And so um, what was interesting is to see how far people would go under the instructions that know the exp- and, and all they were instructed to do is say no. They were instructed, the guy in the lab coat was instructed to say the experiment needs to continue anytime anybody prote- uh, the, the person administering the shock protested. And um, now the very experiment itself is under scrutiny for, for being abusive, even though they, they told the people afterwards just because of what they forced them to do, um, even though nobody was hurt, but they're psychologically hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and they, and, but there were three different tiers of the experiment, and it had to do with, um, one, uh, the person administering the shock was in the same room as the person receiving it. One, they were behind glass, behind glass where they could see the person mm-hmm. and kind of hear it, but there was, there was a definite separation. And then the, the third version was when a person was in another room next door where all they could do is hear and not see them. Yeah. And the level of abstraction in significantly increased the degree to which someone would continue to administer the shocks. Yeah, and a significant are. number of people went all the way. And, and, and the final version was like, Clearly marked like XXX. <laughs> yeah, don't. Yeah. Push that. The same abstraction happens with numbers, too. It does. If it's one or two people, uh, you're much more likely to connect with them than if it's a million people. Yes. <laughs> Which is yeah, why yeah. humanity sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we will. Well, there's Bend also. backwards to save one person, but we won't lift a fucking finger to save a million. I pulled a Russ. Yeah. You did. Yeah, you got it right all over you. Ash, Ash, what, Arthur's Ash. What's that number? I, I should know this. I'm, I, I can, I, I'm one of the social science guys. I, uh, it escapes me at the moment, but but there's there's a number was like 130, 150, 150 people. Like socialism, theoretically, works really well to group about 150 people. Because right, you know everybody. You know everyone. Which is why small that. rural towns work, too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't work in urban No. <laughs> Not as well. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Which is funny well, because more urban people tend to be socialist. But Was it Dunbar's number? Is that what Yes. Okay. Aha, I got it. And it's where, well, that's where like, corporations that are smart and recognize that build all of their subunits at least that size or smaller yeah. so that there's there's no abstraction in the level of people that you're actually engaging with inside a giant corporation. Right. It makes sense too. I mean, even just anecdotally thinking about yourself or your own life, it's like one of you guys is on the fritz or loses a job or needs help and, oh my gosh, yeah, man. Well, how can I help? But you're some other dude in some other town who I don't know. I don't know yeah. you. I don't, what am I going to do? I mean, it, you just you don't have the attachment or, or the care that you would with the smaller numbers. It just makes sense. It's the way we are as people. I don't know. Um, yeah. But does it make us violent? It can. Because, yeah, because be, then that level of abstraction. Justify yeah, violence. You need to justify it. Yeah. That Stanford experiment with the prisoners was interesting too they made a movie about it it's on Netflix actually my wife and I watched it I heard about it in social psychology Stanford when I heard about the motor experiment. experiment yeah when they took like prison guards like mm-hmm. half of you are going to be prison guards half of you are going to be prisoners and the people that became really the prison abusive. guards were yeah just like the motor experiment they were really abusive and they even at the end of it were going I didn't know I was capable of that kind of you know torture of people like, I didn't realize I, I could even be capable of doing that. And I did that. And it was really shocking to Pack mentality becomes a thing, too, with mm-hmm. things like that, where it becomes normalized and then yeah. you just feel safer mm-hmm. doing it or whatever. Yeah, the, the, the mob. The mob the mentality. Mob, mob rules. Yeah, It's a Black Sabbath song. <laughs> the first Dio, Johnny James Dio, Black Sabbath song. 
I don't know if that's punk. It's more metal, but... I think we should also say here that, like, just because we're saying there's reasons for violence doesn't mean there's an excuse for it or that we're trying to explain it away. Exactly. Either. Like... You're responsible for it. Right. Like, like, no, like no, talk, but we try to understand it. Right. Yeah. Because, because a lot of times... In, in isolation, it's difficult right. to understand. I'm just saying someone could listen to this and think, oh, these guys are trying to make an excuse for... Yeah, no. For no. 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 It's, yeah, it's... <laughs> no. Well, one of, the, one of the most memorable moments in my childhood that sticks with me to this day as being just sheerly, purely one of the most vivid <clears throat> is a moment I acted in violence and had huge regret. Um... It was one of those days where, I mean, I was young, I was like 10, and my sister's like 6, and she's just being an irritating sister. <laughs> and my sister and I had a great relationship all growing up, like, it was actually super good, and um, we were three and a half years apart, and, I, you know, I think because of that, there was never, and I was older, there was never any, like, issue on my part of, like, feeling like I need to outdo my sister in any way. Our, our age gap was just too big that there was no real competition. Of course, I was stronger or whatever. But one day, she was just being super, super irritating. And she was standing up on a on a chair and and just just egging me on in, in a bunch of different ways. And I don't even remember the content of the conversation, but I just know that it resulted in me being really irritated with her. And I just punched her in the back really hard. And I mean, I was 10. I could only do so much damage. But she was 6 and... <laughs> I could hurt her. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I remember how much that impacted her and how much it impacted me. Just, uh, it, was, it was all just in the moment. And I, I'm general, I was never really a, an angry or violent kid, but it just came out in that moment. And just the, the impact it had on our relationship and how bad I felt over that still sticks with me to this day. Wow. In, wow. Yeah. An incredible way, and I think part of that is too because of the the good relationship with my sister and I did have, and it was so out of the ordinary that it just stands out now. It's a lot of the fights I got in were like that too, and I and I I'm not I'm sort of a pacifist. I don't I didn't always I didn't pick a fight, but I would defend myself if I was being bullied or something like that. And I was always kind of a I was always kind of a bigger kid. I looked like a bigger kid, but you know, being the new kid when I moved to Alaska with a at a military base where most of the kids were from military families and stuff like that, um, a lot of minorities too. So, and that was kind of cool to grow up in that atmosphere. At 13, I moved to a place where white people weren't necessarily the majority, mm. which is kind of cool and good for me. But yeah, being picked on, and then this one guy just kind of I just I just beat the shit out of this kid right there in the hallway. I just snapped. And there's been a few times in my life where I snapped. And most of the time I lost those fights. I broke my jaw. I still have... I have a numbs part right here. Like, I can't feel anything. If I start drooling, my wife will tell me. Because <laughs> I can't feel it. Like, I seriously I have nerve damage. Because a guy hit me with an uppercut and broke my jaw in half. I had plate. Did he get my jaw in place? Oh, you dude. saw metal detectors? No, it wasn't that bad. Okay. I actually, I had it. I don't know what happened. But I, they gave it to me in a pill jar. It was like screws. You like radio stations that get picked up? <laughs> no, I didn't feel any of that. I got an infection that they had to drain in the bottom of my, right underneath my bottom of my jaw because I didn't, I was supposed to do these salt and fucking rinse my mouth out with hydrogen peroxide every day. Like, what the fuck? 
you know, I'm Mr. Punk Rock guy. I'm like, I'm not doing that. And then I got a big yeah, infection. Yeah, yeah. Turns out the trade. Actually, nobody was talking about. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man. Every time I got in a fight, it was a, it was like a road rage thing because I fucking I'd snap and I would just I'd see red, and that motherfucker's gonna get hit. And it was weird. Like I just lost control of myself. As I got older, I think some of this is dealing with trauma too. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, going to recovery groups, I saw that kind of behavior dissipate a little bit when I... When you talk about it, verbalize it, like yeah. the pain, whatever it is? First time I was in a recovery group, I was 16. 17? I was 17. Damn! Well, it's almost cliche about how kids, when they're the violent ones who act up in school, it's like, you know, go to the school counselor and, well... Let's talk about your home life because yeah. you're clearly trying to get some control at school that you do not have elsewhere. <laughs> one of the brilliant it's things like, tells a tale that doesn't need to be told. One of the uh, the things that's funny you bring that up. I had a friend. Well, I had a friend because I was the new kid again because my you know my parents moved a lot in this trailer park after my parents got divorced. Moved into the fucking trailer park, and these kids started picking on me. And this one kid, he. Uh, he kept pushing me and kind of picking, bullying me at the bus stop, and and I, I punched him. <laughs> I punched him in the face, and then he had this homework assignment. It was one of those things that you build, right? Like a, a little house or something he had to build for his homework assignment. So it was just the wrong day for this motherfucker to start picking on me, right? So not only did I punch his ass in the face, but I saw his little thing that he built sitting there right next to the thing by his books at the bus stop, and I went... I just smashed that motherfucker and I just flattened it into pieces. And so he goes to school that day, and we're on the playground, and he comes up and he and he pushes me really hard, and he's we're gonna go, you know. And I'm like, all right. So we we almost get into it, and one of the teachers grabs us, pulls us into the principal's office, and for the whole day, I had to spend the day with this kid. Like they go, you guys are gonna sit right here and think about what you did. Your new we're like, best okay. Friend. Exactly. He became my friend after that. Because we had to spend six hours at like whatever the fuck age I was, ten years old or whatever I was, just in this room together. And after that we're like, Oh, we have a lot in common and he lives like two trailers down the street from me and it's like Yeah, you know, he became my friend after that. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, I had a coach that used to make guys that got into it hold hands. Ah, ten minutes or something. (laughs) 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 Oh wow, that's interesting. I remember the bully in when I was ten, eleven, twelve years old in the neighborhood. And now looking back at it, even just thinking of that, what you were just as you were talking there, I have no idea what that kid's home life was like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But he was the bully of the neighborhood. He was an asshole. (laughs) He was the biggest asshole. Everybody was scared. Everybody was scared of him. But I, as you're saying that, I, I, I have no idea what it was like at his house. It was probably awful. Yeah. Oh, sure. It's funny, yeah, thinking about some of my friends growing up. And, you know, a couple of them that were, like you're saying, they would just go red all the time. Right. And then, you know, and their home, I knew them pretty well. Their home life seemed okay. But they're like, right. man, what was going on Yeah. that I didn't know about? You never know. Yeah. This is why I watched The Breakfast Club with my children. <laughs> oh, that would be yeah. a good exercise. It is, yeah. It's it a, a fantastic great movie for that because it's about... Kids who don't, you know, hang out and yeah. come from drastically different backgrounds, and, and it starts to explain that some of the stuff, you know, uh, the, the the asshole kid, well, 
His dad's an asshole. It also yeah, works yeah. for the new Jumanji movie. Oh, oh right. I haven't seen, seen that. that. Really good. That. Oh, yeah. Really good. He's got a, I, I realize he's got a road rage. Breakfast club. The road rage is not the issue. There's something else. Even yeah. myself, when that yeah. starts to rise up, there's something else. Control. Besides, not well, control. But let's go back even further, deeper into the control. What do I? What do I don't have control of? Do I feel like I don't have control of my life? Do I feel like I don't have control of my family? Of my you have to get somewhere. Personal safety. These people here in your way. It's yeah. inconvenient. This sucks. I wanted to not. I don't want to be here right now. There's also like a sense of justice that usually comes up with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm like this is unjust, and I'm going to fix the world. Yeah. And I have an idea in my head of what a perfect world would look like, and this fucker's messing with it. <laughs> not part of it. Yeah. Not and I'm going to. I'm going to fix this. I can fix. This and make this fit what it's supposed to be in my head. Um, well, somebody yeah. said years ago that anger was just a re- response to fear, frustration, or pain. Yeah, yeah. and a, that helped. Yeah, because I, when I would start to get angry, I'd okay. What is this? Right. What is it actually? Yeah. What is it actually? Instead of punching the wall and hoping I don't hit a two by four, oh, basically it's frustration. I can't figure this problem out. When I was growing up, for me, it was music and film, and just music was such an outlet for me, mm-hmm. and just really abrasive, violent music. Listening or playing? Both, actually. What did you me. play? I play guitar. I would, like, down to my guitar, two whole steps, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, heavy distortion, played in bands, drummer had a double bass, you know, I was into that kind of Sweet. just adrenalized, heavy, yeah. heavy shit. And that was such an outlet. And then, and, and then I could see that. Well, like, 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 so, so now, I mean, like, kind of echoing what you're saying about getting older and testosterone, maybe like not being what it was. Yeah, I can still pop in like a like a Slayer CD, mm-hmm. and I love it. But it's not like the way I felt when I was 16. Right. I mean, that energy when you're 16, there's just nothing like it, man. It's fucking just. And, I used to- uh, yeah, sorry. I used to love mosh pits. Oh yeah, man! Oh yeah! Oh, yeah. Like, I yeah. wanted to. The next day, I wanted to be a giant bruise. Like, that was <laughs> yeah. cool. It's just yeah. get the shit kicked yeah. out of you. Yeah. And kick the shit out of somebody else at the same time. Yeah. I got into some stuff a little later where it kind of became cool to listen to that kind of music, but not mosh. I.e., I'm just going to. I'm going to sit here. I'm just going to hold all the energy in my body, and I, I'm tough enough to just hold it mm-hmm. and sit with it. So the entire current Seattle music scene. Yeah, yeah probably. <laughs> it's just a lot of suppressed rage and energy. But but I saw that change after college into my mid-20s where you have, the, you know, like, like I, I take a corporate job, I work in a cubicle, and, you know, this is coming off of, I mean, this is like in the early 2000s, but not too far off from the late 90s where you had films like Fight Club or Office Space that were really having their hand on the pulse of male angst in a white-collar professional way. Like, you wear a white-collar noose. You weren't bred to sit at a cubicle. And I would just interact with these films like, yeah, man, what the fuck? What am I doing here? Going to work at a corporate job? I wasn't meant for this. And you start to have all this anger about that. Like, what the fuck is life? Like, this is what it is to be a man in America? And, uh, and... and no man having having the money to pay the bills. <laughs> I know oh, metal. Yeah, it is. It is. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know how metal it is, but 
I, I, women like it. It's attractive. Like, oh, this guy did, has a job and he pays bills. That's a, not like that's the rock awesome. stars aren't paying their bills. Well, that's true, but some testosterone freak, you know, who doesn't have a job isn't. You know, he's just buying the music and making ends meet. But, but yeah. So, so that's where it kind of progressed in my early sort of postgraduate professional life or whatever. Just resonating with those kind of movies that were really. Pressing into some good questions, I think. Like, what does it mean to be a man? And does it mean to... Yes. Does, does that mean that you have a job where you sit at a cubicle? Was that what you were made for? Even if you talk about, you know, evangelical Christianity, you had guys like John Eldridge writing That's Wild at Heart, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tapping into that rage and lust, <laughs> i.e., well, you have testosterone flowing through your body. That's... Yeah. I mean, you, you can spiritualize it, and there is a spiritual component to it for, for sure, but you know, th- there's even that being touched into, I was made for more than this, and that causes some anger, some mm-hmm. kind of disjointedness. And, yeah. But I used to watch Fight Club and Office Space for therapy. Like, those movies were always playing in my house those years, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I'd probably watch both films at least once a month, like, when, during that time in my life, because it was, yeah, what what is this? What am I supposed to do? And I feel like I was made for more and there's an anger there and there's a energy there that this films were exploring and tapping into for sure. Yeah, and I think that's the question that we, that dudes will ask is, you know, am I the man? Yeah. Uh, do I have what it takes? Do I have am what I it enough? takes? Yeah. yeah. Those sorts of so, questions of masculine identity. Yes, or, yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Exactly. I think that's what drew me to Mark Hill was mm. that, you know, one of the things so he would we say. Fucking, we were getting there. Know. Well, one of the things <laughs> we, were, we were swirling the drain. Hey, 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 no, finally, Steve flushed the fucking toilet. Well, I was listening and to AC3. To better, <laughs> but I remember Driscoll saying, I never started a fight and I never lost it. I never lost a fight I was in. I'm like, because yeah. he had his bodyguards there. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, you know. Because he was real that's... picky about his fights, probably. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But that's what we're here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you, you don't have to talk about Driscoll, though, because there is kind of that, like I mentioned, John Eldridge. <laughs> you don't have to. Well, well it, you, you can, for sure. But, but there is that sort of, if you talk about conservative, complementarian circles of, you know, what's a man? Well, you lead your family, and you protect them, and you provide for them, and you know, this, these yeah. are the markers of a good Christian man, and there's some kind of tough guy shit in there, too. Yeah. You know? Well, I was over at my brother-in-law's in Spokane shooting a gun for the first time, a shotgun. And you never shot a gun before? I had never shot a gun. Oh, wow. And there was an energy there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, like tool time. Extension of your dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I can fuck that thing from a hundred yards away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah multiple times. Dick shaped bullet right in it. Because <laughs> mm. I think that's what we struggle with, is especially, I don't know if it's more prevalent today in society, but just that idea of am I a man? Or, or, or give me a place to put this energy. Right. And the church in some way does that yeah. for a yeah. lot of men like okay you, you need this energy we'll give you a place to channel it to put it it, it attempts to it, really it, but not just the church it attempts to I don't, I'm not saying it's successful so does CrossFit I mean yeah, yeah, a lot yeah of take your pick you know, yeah, yeah take yeah. your pick social kind of get together how do you exercise your masculinity at church by leading, providing finding identity in it yeah. uh, growing it growing in it uh Finding identity in the system, you know, the leadership roles, the servant roles. Uh, I mean, you find identity in that. You used to. I mean, Arthur, you were one of the toughest guys I knew back in your Protestant. Well, it must be. In that Protestant way, too, you know, that. 
Because I'm not dogging you. I mean, I, I, we were all there. I'm sorry, Derek. I don't we, feel like I was exercising my masculinity there. It might have just been who you were, but but I'm saying it, 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 it kind of... It was doodly, attractive. It, it, it gives a Guys place like for that. it. Somebody yeah. to follow that. No, at the time, I was talking about how effeminate the church was. That's a tough guy. So did Driscoll. <laughs> yeah. Driscoll went on a whole platform of how feminized the church. But, I mean, just think about this... The stereotypes of the most masculine men that we have in this country, and they most of them go to some kind of church. Yeah, like that. That's kind of wrapped up in the identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like cowboy, yeah, like wild west. Real men love Jesus. Those living on the ranch stickers. type of thing. Like, yeah, church is kind of a big part of that identity. Can be for sure. Duck Dynasty. Live in the hood. Go Duck to church Dynasty, on Sunday. Yeah. You don't see that though, like channeling the energy, and it, it it allows for that. Like it gives it a place. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it does it well, but I'm saying that that's one of the allures. Yeah, I don't see it. You don't see it. Never did when I was there either. Really? No. Oh man, there's so much machismo energy with complimentarian churches. I think. I, I, think I mean, like, it depends like, on the church too. Yeah. Maybe you're just in. A, no, it, it, it like was like that. Yeah, a little bit. That that men's group that would meet in the mornings, and you know, there was some good stuff there. It's not I mean, shit, I bad. took a bunch of guys up into the mountains every year. It's not all bad. That was. Don't get no. manlier than that. It, <laughs> it it's not all bad. It fit but, right into Mars Hill. But 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 there there are those very practical questions. Like, look, uh, I'm angry. I'm horny. Uh, and, Give me some answers, or, or help me channel this energy yeah. because I'm gonna, you know, whatever break stuff or destroy something if I don't or, or help me figure this out and and they they give you that with lead your wife and kids and be a good provider and you find you find that feel really bad when stuff. you jerk off right. so you feel you to say it's, it's yeah. really about like being told how to temper that then not being it well help me feel more guilty about jerking off help me feel more guilty about like looking at someone who's not my wife help me now because if you don't, all, you're going to bang it, your it, wife's it, it sister. A, That's what's going to happen. It wasn't a place to express my masculinity. It was a place to repress it. I think. I think it's not a place. I think. Turn the other cheek. There's some, no. I think there's something to the common struggle of it. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of that came in. Is like, yeah, hey, you're struggling with this. Too. You're horny too, right? Oh, <laughs> you, like, you yeah. like sex and money? We should totally hang out. You get really yeah. pissed off in traffic. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> that's 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 the thing is that when we're honest and we identify, if the other guys are honest, they're going to identify. They're going to say, really? Yeah. You struggle with that too? Your wife thinks that you're the problem in this relationship. Wow, I thought I was the only one to struggle with that. No temptation is easier except that which is yeah. And I think a good, a healthy uh, social environment, even in a healthy spiritual social environment, people won't shit on you for that or use it against you or gaslight you for it. I think that what sh- people should watch out for is churches that that shit on you for it or really yeah. or really drive guilt or well, shame. Being being outside it. Several years now. I mean, I, it's interesting to to think about it and where I was and where I am and, and the good from it and the bad from it. Should is guilt or shame ever the way forward? Really, no. No. But should some guys probably stop jerking off and playing video games as much as they do? Maybe. Yeah. And it's, yeah. You know, I'm not saying they right. should feel right. guilty per se, but there is kind of that. Come on, 
man up, you know. Well, in defense of church, I think it's that structure from a moralistic standpoint is better than what a lot of guys that don't have any community at all have. Yeah. Because they don't have any of that sense of common struggle. Yeah. And they, they have no sense of like, hey, other people deal with this too. And... And I just can't do this. Like, that's the other end of it, mm-hmm. is I'll just do this stuff, right? And end up in jail. In, in my estimation, then, it's, it's a replacement for real relationships of depth. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I, was, I was talking to my wife this weekend when we went out. It can be a place nice... for real relationships of depth, though. It, it can work that way. It, it can if it transcends the construct. I think, but I, true, I think but... it's I think it's I think it's rarer, and I think it exchanges. It 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 creates a safe place for pseudo depth. Yeah, I think I think people feel Absolutely. like they have deeper relationships than they really do, and I, I was I was saying that I. Went with my with my wife this weekend, and we, we had a great mid afternoon brunch, lunch, something. Anyway, because we dropped the kids off at a party, and, and we were just hanging out, and we were talking just about where we were at. And one of the things that came up was I was thinking about this group versus the relationships I built going to the same church for eighteen years. And I was talking about how you know we haven't even made it to the one year anniversary mark, and I'm like I've I've gotten deeper and had more real conversations of, of real depth, and I care more about the guys that I hang out with once a week doing this than I did anybody yeah. that I spent 18 years with. I had some really deep relationships in my church. Um, more yeah, so? That, yeah, yeah. That turned into things. And, uh, and honestly, like, it's better, like, at least it's something, right? Like, like, so I've been on, like, the depression group of uh, Reddit a lot. Hmm. And, like, and talk about, you know, like, hey, I do have these group of guys. And everybody on there is like, yeah, like, wow. Like, that's, like, I couldn't, I don't even know where to start to get that. Like, that's just not. And at least church is something. My right? therapist says the same thing to me. Like, I talk about my support structure and my friends, like, you know, you guys. And, like, yeah, you wouldn't believe how many men I see that don't have that, yeah, that right. need that. They don't even know where to start. don't even know where to start. How do you even get it that? How do you even work. do that? It right? takes fucking work. A little bit of work, crap. Well, honestly, it's the it's the Chuck Palahniuk thing. Like mm-hmm. outside of a support group, like like the guys that get it the best are usually the guys that are addicted to shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, like, dude, let's go smoke some weed. This week's been horrible. Yeah. Well, like yeah, like like that creates a natural environment with that common struggle. Yeah, yeah. and we're and. Common struggle creates depth, right? It's the same with the military, right? You know, it doesn't have to be some emotional thing. If you're struggling together to accomplish something and the stakes are high, you build a relationship with another man that means something that that naturally creates a depth yeah. through what you're going through. And there's just not that structure of common struggle outside of, you know, I'm addicted to something, right? Yeah. Like I'm in the military. I'm th- Those are the most common things that... I, when I meet men that have deep relationships, it's usually one of those three things, church, military, or an addiction group. And yeah. if you don't have one of those three, you're kind of fucked. So what's this? This is our million-dollar idea. We need to learn how to reproduce this. We can sell a book and make a <laughs> million dollars. Punk theology. Yeah. Edit that out because I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have seminars. You yeah. know, do what we're doing. Because you do know guys that don't have that. We can sit on stage and just do this. this. He's talking about I know. Jesus. We're, we're drinking 
Stephen and I are death. drinking some very. I'm Dark. drinking Irish death. Or Steve death is death. drinking kill lifter in this. But anyway, Steve. So going back to what you were saying, and then Steve says something, and I'm lost about people being envious <laughs> of maybe right. having something like this, and how do you even <laughs> do it? You can't force it or manufacture it. All yeah, it yeah. has to be organic. I said it was work because it is work. And if you if you think about it, something you said earlier reminded me of this, and this came to mind. Um, life is hard. You know those, those those movies like Fight Club and Office Space. Oh, yeah. Like there's a there's a certain level of trauma in just doing fucking office work. Yeah. Nine to five. Mm-hmm. And so when you get in a church, for example, and if you if you guys think about it, Chuck's not here. I miss Chuck, um, but if you think about it, we all kind of know each other from church. Yeah. You know Arthur from church. I know Derek from Mars Hill. I know Steve from from uh, Port Gardner and Mars Hill. Um, I know you. I wouldn't have met you if it wasn't for fucking Mark's Hill. It's weird that that's a thing, right? Well, to what Derek was saying. It was a refugee camp. Because, <laughs> yeah. because on, There's another common group. <laughs> on some yeah. ways, like I track with what Derek was saying about you know when I was in that system, I've had friendships I thought were were meaningful and had depth. But where I am now, I kind of look at him going, yeah, kind of for the time. But but part of me is just really wary of friendships that are found inside constructs because they usually only exist to reinforce the construct, and they usually don't survive yeah. or transcend yeah. the construct, yeah. which makes me question their depth yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's the thing about, in social psychology, that's the thing, too, where a system or institution, the people that are involved in that don't even necessarily, they're not even conscious of the fact that they will protect it outside themselves. So if somebody threatens the system institution, like that person becomes an outcast. Mm -hmm. Isn't this my wife getting kicked? This? Yeah. It's a construct. Kind of, but it's a punk construct. So we don't. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> my, my, my wife getting uh, no, shit on by our church when she left showed me the real depth of the relationships. Yeah, because I I went to everybody that I'd had what I thought was a strong relationship that I had I had left two years before and, and still had contact with most of or all of those men since I'd left the church. And when my wife was getting railroaded. By the church authority, I went to all of them and told them our story. No one left the church. Fuck yeah. Not a single yeah. man. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It reminds me of uh, yeah. the best they could give me is I don't understand. Yeah. And that's bullshit. Well, you do. That is absolutely an asshole. And it's easy for them to dismiss you after you. Or on your way out. Lose your faith yeah. or on your way out because then you're not even. Yeah, but my wife hadn't. That's true. And my wife had done nothing yeah, no. wrong. Yeah. Not a single accusation was leveled against my wife. My wife was a victim. Right. Yeah. And yeah. she Fuck got fucked. Yeah. Well, I've got a guy that I'm just beginning this relationship with. I've given him my cell number. I said, call me. Because he's, he's, got, he's I, I feel like he's starting to crawl out of the shell <laughs> of the conservative fundamentalist. Because it's not, I wouldn't go as far as say it's not working, but he's struggling with it. Sure. And to share with him my journey, there is a, there is an enticement to him. 
So I'm just beginning to go into that relationship with him. I don't know where I live, but I want him to know that it's safe. You're safe. You yeah. can talk to that him. I, he can he, talk to you're me. Not gonna, he's not going to shock you. No. You. I'm not going to bring him up in the men's prayer group. <laughs> we need to pray for brother because he's struggling in his relationship. Yeah, oh, I hate that. Oh, it's, just like you, you, it's a gospel fucking yeah. tool. Or not a... It's a, it's a gossip tool. Gossip. Yeah. And even, gospel. My, even my gospel yeah. fundamentalist <laughs> buddy the, uh, in town Irish death who speaking. I didn't bring and bailed that night, um, it wouldn't fit here. But even he said, you got something special there. It's, it might be scary, but... It's very yeah. scary. Yeah. yeah. But, I get one of them. like, I see... I, I don't see relationships as work, though. Like, going back to what you were saying. And it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm usually wary of... Of, um, of someone saying, like, this is work. Or relationships right. are work. It's work or, for me. I'll be honest. So, even meeting you guys, when I met you for the first time, John... I had a kind of a I don't give a fuck attitude, but for me to be vulnerable in, in you, you and Derek's community group at the time was a little scary. You're saying me. it's work to be vulnerable. It was work for me to be vulnerable Is it now? and not just keep no. Okay. But I was just I was at that point well, in my life you where were. with you and Derek in that community group, I was not going to be bullshit because like, you didn't know us. For fucking, I didn't really know you that right. well. But at the same time, the work part was this is me. Like, yeah. this is what I'm struggling with. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm dealing with. If you're going to fucking reject me, you might as well do it now. And I'll just step out and do this. That's funny you but say it that. Scary. It felt effortless to me. Like, it didn't... Yeah. yeah. I wouldn't have said that I thought you were struggling with it. But that's... Yeah, really? Just, yeah, I was, yeah. I was... I was ready to just, you know, kind of like you were saying... Um, and, and I track with you a lot on some of that some of that shit because I was just... I'm, I'm here, but I could fucking be gone. Any any time, like I could just get up and walk out as soon as I felt someone was going to reject me or shit on me or say something critical, I'm out that door. Like I just, I knew where the door was and I would just have left right in the in the middle of it because I was so kind of sensitive at the time of of Christian Bible study shit. And if we're really going to study this book, you know, like Arthur was just talking about, let's 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 talk about like Matthew 23 where Jesus says, uh, uh, I love that line where he says. You 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 take heavy burdens and you put them on people's back and then you don't lift a finger to help. Right. You know shit like you're whitewashed tombs right. and you're like you're like rotting bones underneath with nice flowers growing and and you know manicured grave like all that that shit really resonated with me at the time. So it was a little bit. I'll be honest, it was a little bit of work. Because I'm used to it well, that, in recovery groups. That's weird. In recovery groups, no, there's no bullshit. Everybody's fucking struggling with the same thing. In that group, it was scary for what, me. Where I interact with it now is more if someone says relationships are work or marriage is work, it's like, that's not good, man. Like It, it, it should it, be some work. It should be but some. But if you say it's work, like, yeah, yeah, like that's, that, that's a default. basic yeah. definition. <laughs> that's, yeah. Like, yeah, it's, not. it's work to coordinate schedules it's work to maybe reciprocate energy when you may not feel like it when a friend needs you that that can be work but if the relationship itself is oh god i gotta hang out with that guy tonight that's not good that's (laughs) that's like yeah if it's that kind of work that's not good um that's what that's why i was like wanting to flesh out what you oh no no that's that's different okay okay jim henderson and i were talking about that like like jim and we have coffee every so often and he would (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I'm sharing something about Jim. Um, but he, we were talking, and he says, yeah, he goes, you ever, you ever have somebody who you're like, they call you up and they want to have coffee, and you're like, 
Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's probably one of the things I hated the most about being a community group leader. <laughs> yes. Feeling the yes. obligation. Like I hate you. <laughs> like I really oh, do not God. like you as a person at all, and I have this obligation yep. to like serve you. Oh, like, like okay, I'll do it, but I really don't yeah. like you much at all. Yep. And I don't even know that I'm doing that good of a job because I don't like you. Yep, and that was one of the things John <laughs> talked about early on that really resonated with me was was kind of giving up obligation. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it it's freeing to have real relationships that are based on your own internal motivation, yeah. what um, you want. But and I think part of that too goes back to what you were talking about at that transition. So. Mine was was super abrupt where I really, it suddenly became really distasteful to be anything but who I really am. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't do superficial relationships, and I haven't <laughs> for like a while now. Yeah. Like if I want to spend time with you, I'm going to, yeah. and I'm going to be me. And if you don't like it, back away, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, because I got to a place where it was worth losing it. Yeah. I would rather be real and lose it than partial and maintain it. How can you pretend? I think it's been a weird transition for me because it, like, I didn't have a really close friend until I was probably 15 or 16. And even then it wasn't like we spent a lot of time together, but there was no depth to it. Mm. So the idea of like any friendship, <coughs> like the idea of rejecting anything... Like, well, at least it's better than nothing. Than nothing, mm. right? And so, I'm, like, there's a psychological shift in me from there of just, like, well, I'll hang out with this person just because, like, like yeah, I, I went without for so long that, like, I don't want to give anything up. Uh, I was even 15 I, when I made my first lifetime friend. I don't mm. think I have any. I think my oldest. That was 12. My was oldest 22. lifetime friend is my wife, I think. I'm probably 15, too. And Tom, I had dinner with Tom, uh, but I didn't see him for like 10 years. The weird thing is he married my ex-girlfriend, so that was weird, and we didn't hang out for a while until he divorced her, and now we're all friends again. That's weird, but... And your ex-girlfriend? He married my ex-girlfriend. Were your ex-girlfriend still in the relationship circle? No. No. <laughs> no, she's Oh, fine. Not. I just walked straight to the bathroom. No. Irish. The Irish death The Irish death slur. The Irish death slur. That's right. Well, go, going back to some of those teenage friendships, though, like I, I had a friend I am me a couple days ago about an old friend of mine from high school, and she was asking me about him, and I still talked to him or whatever, and I, mm-hmm. I haven't talked to him in, in like a decade. No clue what's going on with him. But anyway, it brought the memory of this guy in the circles we used to run in, is you know, high school, right out of high school. And these were guys I cared about a lot. Actually, one of them still do. Actually, two of them I still do. They're still in my life on some level. But but you guys have this thing with male-on-male friendships where, you know, we have fun here. We might bust each other's balls a little bit mm-hmm. here. You know, I think it's all in good fun. But there... Sometimes it would take a mean-spirited turn, yeah. man. It's some really vitriolic, kind of angry. Like you're my friend, but and I'm your friend, but we're kind of treating each other like just shit. shit. Bullying like, each other. What's yeah. up I grew with up that? <laughs> so Idaho has a super strong culture of that. Mm-hmm. It's the very much the you know the tall nail gets the hammer. Yeah. And and yeah, and friendship really like 
the way that they did it over there, at least in the culture I grew up on, was, yeah, just beating on each other. Yeah. And, and I did it with my family, too. Like, um, Jackass and, culture. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Jared Johnny Knoxville. And that was, uh, that stopped with me with my wife. Because she didn't grow like, like she had no. She didn't like you jackassing her. <laughs> no, she, she didn't. She didn't even have any context for that idea. Oh, like she's never even had a relationship that was even close to that because her family was very supportive and nurturing, probably, probably to the to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. They never talked about anything real, uh, but yeah, very very supporting and and uh, and it just. Like, it didn't take me very long to figure out that that just didn't play at all. Mm-hmm. And then I got into this relationship with her where we were both mutually supportive all the time. I was like, why was I doing this? Yeah, this feels again? better. This is so much better <laughs> so much than shitting on each other all the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, so that was it. And it, I was thinking the other day, because I'm coming up with my 10-year anniversary, and oh, yeah, my wife's the longest friendship I've ever had, which is weird for me to... Th- like, I've never had a relationship with somebody... Well, even, you know, uh, even close to the depth that I have, mm-hmm. for even close to as long. I think, you know, probably previous to that, the longest was maybe four or five years. And I tended to share through uh, friends over time. So, yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, odd to think about. Your wife being your yeah. best friend. Which is, yeah. yeah. And, long, and oldest friend. Yeah. That's sweet. That's cool. On the plane. On yeah. the plane. Oh. Um, say something wise, Steve. You're... <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this. We we talked about violence. You know, we started talking about violence, and and one of the things that came up was was kind of the the justification for it that we kind of go through. Um, I've only been in three fights in my life. All three of them were on behalf of somebody else, and and one of them was for my friend I made when I was fifteen. When uh, when he got when he got blindsided, uh, and and I started a fight with with this guy named Keith because of it, and um, and there's something about that where there's, it, it while while Keith's assault on my friend was uh, was justified in that it was a response to 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 ribbing that was you know maybe a little deep. Um, the guy really like sucker punched him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, and he like went down a, a, a ravine, like falling head over heels. Aaron did when he when he got when he got pushed from behind like hard, and uh, and so I just pulled the guy's shoulder and, and punched him in the face and knocked him <laughs> down the same ravine. Um, and, and I think there's an element of, of justification to that, and, and there was an element of of that I would stand up for him that instantly because. Aaron, after he got control of himself, tumbling down the hill, jumped up, ready to fight, and all he sees is me standing at the top of the hill and and Keith following him down the hill, mm-hmm. head over head over heels as well after getting punched in the face, and um, and there's an element where where that that type of camaraderie and standing up for each other can mean something. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and and that your friend would do that and and risk getting in trouble because we were at a school event and um, and I think that there's an element where guys kind of value that camaraderie that someone would stand up for them yeah. um, and and there's there's a level of, of respect that transcends 
other aspects of, of relationship when, when you know someone has your back to that degree. Yeah. Um, and, and you don't get opportunities to to do that. A lot of times, you you know, the, the, the standard, like, movie version is, you know, somebody... You're, you're, you know, the, the asshole friend at the bar is drunk and runs his mouth and, and <laughs> you know, gets his whole group of friends in a bar fight kind of thing where, you know, there's no real, there's no real justice there. It's just, yeah. just, there's just, we're just together because we're a crew kind of thing. Um, but, but it's different when you know that somebody's got your back and, and later in life when, when he was going through a hard time and he was, was drinking and, and got behind the wheel and drove and, and wrecked his car, uh, Lost control of the car, went into somebody's front yard, you know, knocked down their fence, and uh, and, and his car got totaled, uh, ran into a tree or whatever, and 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 he, you know he was in the in the drunk tank. I was his phone call. Mm-hmm. We hadn't seen each other for like twelve right. years, dude. That's huge. Person. Yeah, and I'm the one he's calling at, you know, three o'clock in the morning my time because he's not in our time zone. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm picking up the call and, and I'm taking it because we we had that relationship. Right. And um, well, it's almost as if you know somebody has your back, you'll die for them. Yeah. More mm-hmm. than that, you'll when you really care about somebody, dying is the easy part. Living yeah. for them and yeah. and being there Good for point. them. Good point. That that's harder. Good yeah. point. Let's listen now to a commercial for McPeter's Funeral Parlor. And friends, your loved ones can receive no finer care than that offered by McFuneral's Peter Parlor. That's a huge bitch! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't kick it out! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. This disc contains CD-ROM data and is not for audio use. Please press stop on your disc player now.